You are listening to audio from Community Bible Church of Savannah. If you would like to find out more information about our church, please visit us at cbcsavannah.com. Thanks, you guys can have a seat. Again, forgive my grogginess. I got one of them summer colds. It's a good thing that I'm up here for a short today. I've been drinking tea all morning, that's why I got my... Union Jack mug, in case you were wondering. Some of you were like, hey, I'm, I am a fan of The Who as well, in case you were wondering. So, but uh, anytime I drink tea, man, I got to bring my Union Jack mug out. Um, again, it's just a special thank you. We had a bunch of high school students this week that, that kind of were all over the campus painting and stuff. And, uh, and Jason and Dan uh, on staff kind of led them. I mean, it was great to see. A lot of things look fresh because they were here. They're working some for camp, and so we're thankful for them coming this week and, and doing that. So if things look a little brighter, it's because there were some high school students painting this week and power washing, and it was good to have them around. We have spent the last 20 weeks in this book of Judges, and um, one of the things we like to do when we kind of close out a book is kind of give a recap, all right, uh, just so we can remember what the book's about. The older I get, uh, I don't know if it's age or just you know, the Savannah water or whatever, but um, the, the older I get, the more I forget. So I am super grateful for this, right? Because if someone says, hey, can we meet next Thursday? I'm like, yes, and I will put that in and I will set up a reminder. And because I'll forget sometimes after the first reminder, I set up a second reminder, right? This is the beauty of this thing. It reminds me twice that, hey, you have an appointment, you have a this, you have a that. Uh, because I forget, right? We have a tendency just to forget things. And God knows this about us. He is mindful of our frame. He knows that we are but dust. And so in the scripture, over 300 times, it talks about remember this and don't forget this and remind them of this because we forget, right? How many times did Jesus teach the disciples the same thing in three years? It's like the same lesson over, over, and over. The apostle Peter says, as long as I'm with you, I, I, it's no big deal for me to, to stir you up by way of reminder. He says elsewhere, I wanna remind you of these qualities. I want you to be loving and I want you to be virtuous and I want you to have self-control. So I'm gonna remind you of these things. Paul says, Timothy, remind them of these things, right? We constantly need to remember. We do this in life too, right? What do we say when the kids are about, the teenager are about to leave? Remember. You ain't coming home if you do anything. No, we don't say that. But remember, make good choices. Remember, be home by 11. Uh, teachers, remember you have a test tomorrow. Right? And the implication is not that we don't know it. If you're being reminded of something, you already know that. It's just, it's somewhere in this mass in the back. And it needs to be brought to the forefront. Right? Every coach says what? Remember to keep your hands like this. Remember to do this. Even the, even the, the, the mom and dad just knows nothing about sports. My mom watched 18 years of baseball with me and my brother. Still doesn't know anything about baseball except she does know this. She, she can say this. Keep your eye on the ball. <laughs> Remember, keep, everybody knows that, right? And it's not that you don't know that, but no, you need to be reminded, right? And so as we finish this book, um, there's, I think there's some things that we need to be reminded. And, and I want to kind of talk about that today. And I don't want to get back into the details. If I ask most of us, what's the book of Judges about? You probably say something like, oh, it's about the cycle, or it's about, uh, you know, uh, rebellion, or about everyone doing what's right in his own eyes. And, and it's true, all right? We, we saw this cycle repeat itself time and time again, where people would fall into sin, and then God would bring a nation 
to, to judge them, the Moabites, the Edomites, whoever, they would cry out to him to help, sometimes in repentance, sometimes not, and he would raise up a judge. There would be salvation. So we've saw this over and over. And, and it's true that the book, you could say, is about that. But when you step back, sometimes it's good to study a book like we did, 20 weeks through these chapters. But when you step back and see the book from the big story of what God is doing, this is a 350-year piece of what God is doing in the Old Testament, right? It covers 350 years of, of God's people. But he, it's, it's bigger than that. And when you step back and see how this fits into the big story of God, the grand story of God, it's not just about a bunch of knuckleheads that don't know what they're doing, right? It's about something bigger. And those things that it's about, I want us, I think we need to remember this morning, right? And I got about 20 minutes. We're gonna run through them real quick. And I want us to remember, and, and just so you know, these are not things you're gonna be like, oh, I've never heard that before. These are keep your eye on the ball things. But we need to hear them because when we forget these things, we end up on the cycle that the, that the judges find themselves on. And uh, I think I have, did I have that verse in there? I guess I don't have that verse. Judges 3 verse 7 says the problem with the Israelites, let me read it to you, was that they forgot Right? They served the Baals and they forgot their God. And the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. They forgot the Lord their God. They served the Baals. That was their problem. I don't, I don't want us to forget these things. So three things really quick. I got like 19 minutes. Let's just roll real quick. All right, so the book starts, remember. And, and Judges chapter one, verse one. Where are the people? The people are in the promised land, Right? They're in their land. Joshua has led them for 30 years as a whole group and they're kind of working themselves around. And then he says, okay, ready, break. Everyone go to their tribes and they all split. And that's where the book begins. But they are in the land and that is big. That is a big piece on the kind of the story of God because this is, this is significant of what he has said. And to get the significance, you gotta go back in time about a couple thousand years when everything's perfect and there's a little garden and there's two naked people running around and they decide they want to eat some fruit that God said no about. And when they eat that fruit, everything falls apart and sin enters into the world. But God makes a promise to them that one day that the seed of a woman, a human, would crush the head of the serpent, the one who tempted them to run away from God. He makes that promise. A couple thousand years later, he grabs a guy named Abram, who's, who's an idolater living in somewhere in Mesopotamia, Ur of the Chaldees, and he tells him, I'm gonna give you three things. I'm gonna give you a land, the land that they're in. I'm going to give you so many descendants, you cannot count them. And in you, all the nations of the world are gonna be blessed. Everybody he makes those promises. So Abram heads to the land, he gets into the land. He's too old to have kids, but God miraculously brings him a son named Isaac, who has twin boys named Red or Esau and Jacob, whose name was changed to Israel. He has 12 boys named Judah and Simeon and Levi and Ephraim and Naphtali and all these, the 12 tribes. And you know how the story goes. There's a famine. They have about 70 or so in their family at this time. There's a famine in the land. And so they go down to Egypt Right? And they're out of the land now. And they're in Egypt for 400 years. When Charlton Heston shows up 400 years later and delivers them out, there is 2.4 million of them in 400 years. Remember what God said, you're gonna be so many descendants that you can't count them. So they start heading back to what? The land. And it takes them about 40 years, even though it should have taken them about a month. 
right? And on the way, God gives them his law. Their clothes never wear out. They got the same sandals, the same Nikes for the entire 40 years, the same robe for the time 40 years. Every day he feeds them in the morning at night. Every day he provides water for 2.4 million people in the desert. Every day they kind of walk in the shade because they have a cloud over them so that it's not so, so hot. And at night there's light and heat in the desert as a pillow of fire and he leads them slowly to the promised land. And then when they get there, they find a land where the cities are already built, houses are already there, wells are already dug, vineyards are already planted. It's move in ready. And they just move on in. Blessing after blessing after blessing after blessing. And here's the point. They forgot it all. They forgot it, right? Judges 3, 7, the people did what was evil. They forgot the Lord their God. And that led them into the cycle every time. And here's what, when you step back and see this book, big picture, yes, about rebellious people, yes, about not gods. The first thing I want you to grab is this. Something, it's, it's simple, it's keep your eye on the ball, but it's something we need to keep coming back to. It's this, it's this God is faithful. He does what he says he's gonna do. He's, he's trustworthy, he's reliable, he is true, he is good. He said they were gonna go back to the land, they went back to the land. He said he was gonna be with them, he was with them. He said, if you turn from me, I'm gonna bring nations to judge you. They turn from him, he does exactly what he says time and time and time again. And he always has, and he always will. Jesus, before he sends to heaven, you know, this is 50 days, I think today is the day of Pentecost in the church, I think in the church calendar. Today is the day that the church celebrates that Jesus said, hey, go into Jerusalem, hang out there until what? Till the spirit comes. Guess what? The spirit came just like Jesus said because God always does what he says because he is faithful. And there's two times I think we need to grasp this. I know we know that. I know we're like, yes, God is faithful. Great is thy faithfulness, oh God, my father. Yeah, we got it. But here's, there's two times when we gotta grab it, right? And here's the most important time, I think, when things are going well, right? When things are going good, in the beginning of the book, things are going great for Israel. They start going into these cities. They start winning for the most part. They don't have much problems. There's a few and they start compromising a little bit. When they start, they start compromising because things are too easy, right? We need to remember that God is faithful when things are good. When you're a, when you're a hitter and you've gone three for three, that is the time that you need to be reminded. Keep your eye on the ball. It's not when you're over the last 10. You know it, but it's when you think, I'm three for three. I got this, I'm having a game. That's when you need to be reminded when things are going well, because that would, what happens if you're not, is you start thinking, I'm pretty good. I'm, I got this thing. When your job is good, when the kids are healthy, when everything's going, there's a little bit of money in the bank. You got into the school you wanted to, your relationships are strong, right? That's when you coast. That's when you let your guard down. And it's in those times we need to say, yes, your, your job is great. That is awesome. That is a gift from God. God has been faithful. Hadn't been you. Your kid got into the college that they wanted to. Yes, they worked hard, but God has been faithful. Right? You're healthy right now. God healed you, whatever. God has been faithful. We need to keep coming back to that when things are good because that keeps us humble and dependent and thankful, and that's what Christians ought to be. Not arrogant, look at us, we're three for three, right? He's done these things. So we gotta remember God is faithful 
when things are well, and then obviously when things are not well, we wanna go back to those things. I heard a great talk this week on Focus on the Family. It was, uh, it was Rick Warren's wife. I, can't, I think her name was Kay. Um, but it was Rick Warren's son a few years ago, struggled with depression, committed suicide, and she was just sharing, and she, she made this great statement, and it's, again, simple statement. She said, life is harder than we think it's gonna be. And I'm like, amen. Right? I, life is hard. And if you don't grab that, you can be disillusioned, you can be discouraged. And it's in those times you need to remember, God is faithful. You say, well, how can I do that? Let me give you some ways, some, some of the things she said, just some of the things I thought about. Just simply, one of the ways we can grasp and remember God is faithful is by looking around. Look, look at God's faithfulness in bringing rain. Right, here's what Romans says. His invisible attributes, his eternal power, his divine nature are seen Clearly, why? In creation, creation is a way we remember that God is faithful. You ought to enjoy it. You ought to go to Tybee and say, wow, look at the power of the, of the water. My God is faithful. He's the one that calmed that water. He's the one that created that water. It's a reminder. The psalmist says, when you look at heavens, when I look at the heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon, the stars that you have set in place, what is man that you, that you are mindful of him? It reminds us how big of God he is how powerful he is. It's, it's something that we ignore and we ought to remember. God is faithful. Uh, solitude and silence is not something we do real well in our culture. Not a real good discipline for us. It's just getting alone, not talking and thinking. But it's a way to remember. The psalmist says, I will remember the deeds of the Lord. I will remember the wonders of old. I will ponder your work. I will meditate. That requires time, silence. And think about how powerful remembering is. It brings up ideas and past. So this is why some of you listen to 70s on 7, right? It's not because any good music came out of the 70s besides Led Zeppelin, right? It's because it reminds you of, I was in eighth grade back when this song came out. And there's something about that for 80s or 90s or whatever it is. You listen to that and it stirs up something, right? I hear the gym blossoms. I think about Isla Palms, right? That's just... 1993, 1994, it just stirs up something. And think about the power of memory. Some of you, you remember this about your grandmother. You can remember smells or, or images. I still, when I think about my grandmother, I, I mean, it's, it's cheesy a little bit, but I think about that she was the only one that ever made a cinnamon toast and she let us make it ourselves and we would put as much sugar, I mean, I think it would be that much sugar and cinnamon and I, I can taste it. It was just unique and it's a memory and it stirs up something in me. And so the psalmist says, I wanna do that about God. And it's a way to remember whether things are good, whether things are bad, right? Some of you journal, that's a great, I, can't, I tried journaling like 65 times. I'm a, I'm a journal quitter, right? So I journal for like three days and I just can never do it. So, you know, and, and I always feel guilty when they're like, you ought to journal. And so I try it for like three days and I skip for like three months and I'll jump back in and be like, last time I journaled was July 7th of 2008. Because <laughs> you wanna pass something on your kids that they can read how godly you are. And I'm just like, they're not gonna read anything in any journals about how godly I am, I can promise you. But some of you are great about that and praise God and you should go back and read them and see what God did and what he was moving in your heart. Some of you like me, just give up, all right, just quit. Um, sometimes being quitter is good. Um, Gather with the people of God. Because when we sing what we just sang together, 
You're reminding this person over here and this person over here that God is the creator, that all creatures of our God and King worship. It's, it's important. Next week, I think next week we're gonna celebrate the table. I think it's on the schedule. We remember. These are just, just little practical things we remember. We need to remember that God is faithful. Read through scripture. And I, and I, I say read, not study. I'm, it's good to study the scripture and I, and I get some of you like to diagram sentences and look up Greek words, that's great. Some of you just need to read through a book of the Bible. Like, just read it and enjoy it and see what God does. Don't try to parse every verb and try to figure it out. Just read it. Read a psalm and be reminded. We need to remember, I know it's simple, but that God is faithful. It's big. That's what this book reminds me of. That's what this book is about. Here's another one. Oh, and then cultivate times of thankfulness. Here's another one. Forgot. The psalmist says, I give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart. Think about what God's done. You got a job? You should be thankful. Thank God. We always, go to, we always pray when we want something. Set up times regularly during the week where you can pray. Just thank God. Thank you that, Lord, we live in a country where we eat every day. If you go into that room over there, you're gonna hear about children who don't. They eat every two to three days. All right, remember God's faithfulness. Here's the second thing I want us to grab, all right? And this is an obvious one in this book, that God is gracious. How many times do they go through? Sin, sorrow, and God keeps rescuing, God keeps forgiving, God keeps delivering, right? You look at the last five chapters. For those who were here the last two weeks, you read that and you're like, this group of people, they deserve to be destroyed. But yet this is the people that God comes to save, right? And this, is, this fits into the story of what God is doing. These are the people, the story of the Bible is how God is redeeming and rescuing a people for his glory, for himself. When Genesis chapter two and three, when they run away, the rest of the scripture is how God is going to rescue them and then what, he, what he's going to do in the end. And this is just one little piece. These are the people God is rescuing us. The people who, who rejected his direction, his word, his provision, his leadership, his deliverance. And he delivers sometimes when they don't even ask. I mean, sometimes they're sorry, but they don't turn from their sin. And he still sends them Deborah. He still sends them Gideon. He still sends them Samson. See, that's the kind of God he is. And see, I need to remember that because that's me. You may not think that's you, but you are Judges 17 through 21 through and through. That's what it looks like when the tape's played out, when you do what it's right in your own eyes. You could be there just like that. And I could. And I need grace. I need grace. I don't know about you. When I think, I, I, I lost my temper again. I know it's Duran and there's a, a special dispensation for people on Duran, but I mean, I know that I'm grumpy again. I know that I said that again. I know that I gossiped again. I know that I slandered again. And you're like, why would God, because he's a God of grace. And that may be simple, Y'all, that may be simple, but man, I need it. And if I'm the only one in here, praise him, right? Um, here's, but here's also another piece of that I love. Not only is he gracious, not only does he forgive, right? But then he turns around and he uses broken knuckleheads like me and you. I mean, think about the people. Samson loves the ladies, right? Jephthah, major issues with making promises that he shouldn't make. All right, um, Shamgar, background issues. Gideon is a coward. So is Barak, 
right? Ehud's got a handicap. These are the people that God delights to use, which shows me that it's not about their perfection and not about their brokenness. It is about their faith. God delights in faith. It shows you the importance of that. And by the way, almost every one of those dudes and dudettes are in the Hebrews 11, even Samson, for their faith. Shows how important faith is, right? Taking God at his word. But, but that's what he does. He uses PE teachers and, and whatever your background is. So you have no excuse. Isn't that great? I mean, some of you are like, man, I thought I had an excuse. You got no excuse, right? All right but I went to Georgia Southern. You got no excuse, all right? Nobody does because God has a God of grace and he uses people who are broken as long as they have faith, right? That's a great lesson for us. Simple, but it's the lesson of this book, right? That God is faithful and that God is a God of grace. And then there's one more thing, right? That we need to keep our eye on the ball, right? And it's a simple one. Again, it's just, these are not like, if you're looking for something new from Bill today, sorry, you're not getting it, right? But we need to be reminded that God is sovereign. That he is in absolute control of all things at all times. In the darkest period of Israel's history, 350 years of rebellion and intermarrying with other people and rejecting God and worshiping Baals and then a tribe almost gets wiped out, we saw last week, and, and he goes steal a bunch of 16-year-old girls from the prom to make them wives and all sorts of crazy stuff. The entire time, God is absolutely sovereign in control and he is accomplishing the plan which he set in motion before the foundation of the world to send a rescuer and a redeemer. Right? Remember, during the time of Judges, there's another story, another book of the Bible going on. Remember? Beginning of Ruth, in the days when Judges ruled. Right? So the, Ruth's story takes place somewhere in that 350 years. And Ruth's story, remember, is about a Moabite widow who leaves Moab, comes back to live with her bitter mother-in-law, Naomi, Right? Or she changes her name to Mara, which means bitter. But she catches the eye of the most eligible bachelor in Israel named Boaz. And they, by God's providence, kind of God works it out. They ended up getting married. They have a son named Obed, who has a son named Jesse, who has a son named David, who was the king. And all of that is going on while there's a bunch of guys stealing ladies up here and Samson's chasing Philistines over there and Jephthah's killing his own daughter over here. All that is going on. God is moving what he has planned to do since the beginning of time, to send a savior. And he sets up the Davidic dynasty in the worst period of Israel's history. Because God is sovereign. And in and, and, and your life, when times are dark and you're in the cycle of, of the sin, slavery, sorrow, whatever, whatever is going on. I love the Piper quote. I mean, it's, it's like maybe his second most famous tweet besides the seashells thing that God is always doing a 10,000 things in your life and you may be aware of three of them. I mean, that's just a great reminder that right now you may find yourself in a, you might have a thorn in the flesh like the Apostle Paul, but God may be making the power of Jesus more beautiful in that weakness. That you may have lost someone close like a brother, like a Lazarus, but God may be preparing <coughs> to show you his glory in a magnificent way. You may be falsely accused, abused, forgotten like a Joseph sitting in prison 
and God may be preparing you to rule the nations. That you may be wonder why a loved one still doesn't believe, has rejected the gospel, but maybe God is preparing a guy like a Saul of Tarsus who will be a Paul the Apostle and you don't know it, right? You may find yourself in a place you never wanted to be, you didn't choose to be, but God, like Esther, put you there for such a time as this because you are gonna change the heart of the king and you're gonna save a nation. You may find yourself thrown into a lion's den just for being righteous and for praying and God's gonna deliver you from the false accusations and he's gonna help raise you to a place of influence and you're gonna change the heart of a king, right? You might have some sort of affliction, 2 Corinthians 1, and the only comfort you have is God himself so that later you can be the one who comforts someone that has the same affliction. I don't know what God is doing in those dark places, but I know, and this book reminds me, that God is sovereign over it. And what that means is there is no power in the universe that can stop God from fulfilling his totally good plans for you. Nothing, nothing at all. Simple, but when you step back and you look at this book and the big narrative of what God is doing amongst his people, God is faithful, God is gracious, God is sovereign. Yes, the book's full of knuckleheads, but it's full of a much bigger thing, a gracious and sovereign and faithful God. And that's what we're here to worship. And so why don't you stand, we'll sing, and then we'll hear Pastor Tom come up and share briefly about what's going on. Father, I thank you for maybe simple truths, but just things that we need to be stirred up by way of reminder. Uh, and so uh, may we be a church, yes, it's great to know deeper things, but sometimes the simple things are best. And we come back to the simplicity of who you are and what you have done. And so we're grateful for that. Um, as we sing, as we remember, uh, as we leave, most importantly, may we remember those things. You are faithful, you are gracious, and you are sovereign. It's in Christ's name I pray. Mm-hmm.